0: Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The title of the message this morning is, Behold Our God, Behold Our God, and we're crying out this morning to see Jesus, even what we just sang together. And beholding our God, I believe, is the burden of this text. This text is about Jesus Christ. Last week, Corey did a great job preaching about community. And if you remember, one of the illustrations he used was a pit, a portrait, an old family portrait. And he told us, and he was right in telling us, that Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 was a portrait of the family of God, a portrait of the spirit-filled community of God. Well, Acts chapter 3, friends, Acts chapter 3 is a portrait of Jesus Christ. We have many portraits in our homes. Many portraits that are hanging on government buildings. Many paintings of famous men and women. and If you go into our U.S. Capitol, you'll see portraits of of Abraham Lincoln. You'll see portraits of George Washington. You go to other countries, you'll see portraits of their leaders, of their current leaders. In our homes, we may have portraits of of, of a, a patriarch of our family. Someone who's meant so much. Friends, there is no portrait more wonderful. There is no portrait greater than the portrait of Jesus Christ. Because he is the greatest He is the Lord. And this morning, we've got this portrait before us. We want to behold God in the face of Christ in this portrait. So I invite you, if you you don't have a Bible, please grab one. We have a table right back here with a Bible. If you've got one, open it to Acts 3. Prepare your hearts to see and receive this portrait of Christ. Incredible portrait of Christ. But... Before we take a look at this portrait, I feel like I need to get you ready for this portrait. Because this portrait comes with some presuppositions. This portrait is given in its original text to the original audience some 2,000 years ago. To a group of people who probably understood the clothing, the vehicles, the furniture around the portrait. If you recall some old portraits you've seen. Maybe some Old West portraits. The clothing's a little different, isn't it? There's horses instead of cars. So I need to to give you the context of this portrait, and I need to help you understand why this portrait has certain things in it. God wants to communicate to us certain things in this portrait. And and before I do that, I I need to give you sort of an illustration that's going to help us with this portrait. And here's the illustration. It's, it's one of a, of a newscast. Recently, um, I went to the Dominican Republic and we had a great time there. And while I was in the Dominican Republic, I received an email from Corey and, and, and he informed me. He said, hey, our adoption story ran on the 11 o'clock news tonight. Here's the link. And so when I was in the Dominican Republic, I was able to click on that link. How many of you have seen that, the adoption story of the Smidgens? It's a great, great Story and, and it just got, got me thinking. Got me thinking that what we have here today, this portrait of Christ, is much like a news story. We're, we're about to read the first 10 verses, and in these first 10 verses, we have the facts what happened. If you can imagine, there's a news reporter. He or she is standing at the scene. They're describing the scene. They're giving you the facts. Just the facts, please. And then in verses 11 to 26, we have the expert analysis that comes on. You know, Like, like recently when the debates come on, we, we watch the debates. We see the debates. We, we know exactly. We heard it. But then, of course, you have the experts that are going to interpret the debates for us, aren't they? And depending on where they're coming from, their interpretation will vary. And so in verses 11 to 26, we have Peter standing up, preaching his second sermon. And what's Peter doing? He's interpreting what happened in verses 1 to 22. So we kind of have like a newscast. And before I get into that, I I need to have you pay attention here because there is something very specific that God wants you to see. There are some very specific things that God chose to include in this news report in verses 1 to 10. In other words, we have an eyewitness account that God chose to give us, and there's a reason there are certain things in there. Kind of like with the story with Corey and, and Cindy and the adoption of Lana. You know, you've got to ask yourself, why did Lori Jennings, Channel 10, come out and do a story on the smidgens? Is there, is there sort of a motive behind the story? And there was. There always is, right? There always is. And God has a motive here. His motives are always good and right. We need to understand, what is God's motive? What is God's burden? What is God wanting to communicate? Let's pay attention. Let's look at the story. Let's see the furniture in the story. Let's see who's highlighted, who's not highlighted. If you listen to Corey's story, what was highlighted in that story? The fact that this family, that already has four children, and is now adopting a fifth, needed money for the adoption. Hey! And how did they get the money? Through an organization called Gift of Adoption. I mean, that's okay. Corey knew that going in. This story was being done to highlight Gift of Adoption, a nonprofit charitable organization that gives money to people that want to adopt children. I love it. But if you were paying attention, you understood that was the purpose for the story. Now, let's pay attention here. Let's pick up the theme here. Let's see how God chose to have Luke report the story, what he highlights, what he emphasizes, because that is what God wants to highlight here. That's the gift of adoption main point in this story. And, if, and, and, and before reading those first 10 verses, I want, you to, I want you to notice something. First of all, whenever you read a text, you should ask a lot of questions of the text. But I want you to find, as I read this and as you read it, I want you to find the word that's repeated six times here. I want you to circle it in your Bibles. It's okay to write in your Bibles. Okay? All right, let's go. We're reporters. We've just come on the scene. We want to observe. We want to ask questions. We want to see what's important. Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Did you pick up the word? Temple 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 is what God wants us to see right here temple is the gift of adoption big picture over this story temple is what is coming through here why this emphasis on the temple well let me give you a little review in preaching through acts we started with acts chapter 1 The big headline of Acts chapter 1 was found in verse 8. Jesus saying to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the world. And then Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus is enthroned on high. And as such, receives the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and pours out the promise of the Father on his disciples. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they bear witness of Christ in other tongues. And God then gives us this portrait that Corey preached last week of this spirit-filled community. It's the first portrait in the book of Acts. It's like taking the book of Acts like a video, and then boom, they stop the video, and everybody that was in the video gathers, and they take a picture. Still picture. Okay? Now, the video starts up again in chapter 3. But that still picture, that portrait gave us a look at, wow, this new covenant community filled with the Spirit, this new people of God, the kingdom of God, inaugurated by the King Jesus, pouring out His Spirit. Great snapshot. Now, remember that most of these people, in fact, all these people were Jews. So we've got a problem here. We've got these Jews who are new covenant people of God. This is the new thing God's doing. But guess what's right in the background? Actually, it's the place they go pray every day. The temple. So for the next three chapters, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, God is going to interpret the old in light of the new. He's going to talk to us about the temple. Now, for you and me, this is going to be difficult because the last time I checked, none of us have been to the temple. First of all, you can't go there, it's gone. You could go to a wall, which they call the Wailing Wall, but the temple is gone. All the busyness of the temple is gone. The sacrifices, the prayers, the priests going in and out, the court of the Gentiles, the animals being sold, the hundreds and hundreds of sacrifices, the blood that is running, the screams of the animals whose throats are being cut, the birds that are squawking as their necks are being wrung, and the priests that are going in and out day after day after day with all of these sacrifices and all of this incense, all of the bustle of the nation of Israel, the center of the nation was the temple that's why God is going to deal with the temple these next three chapters remember original audience the early church most of whom were Jews because you see the temple was the center of a Jew's life why was it the center of the Jew's life it's the place where God lived holy of holies Once a year, high priest goes in with the sacrifice, hopes that God is pleased with the sacrifice so the nation can continue. It's the place where God and his people would meet according to very specific rules, the law that Moses, God brought through Moses. It is the center of Jewish life. It's the place where they go for their sins to be forgiven. It's the place where they go to pray and they hope hope that God hears their prayers and answers their prayers. Listen, the temple is the place where God's name dwells. I mean, the temple is associated with God's name. It's the very center of their existence. Let, let me highlight this for you. Again, I'm giving you background. This is all an introduction so that you can understand this narrative and its explanation. I'm going to put up here for you a prayer of Solomon who has just been allowed the privilege of building the temple. Solomon, the son of David. You can put it up, guys. 1 Kings 8. Trying to help you understand why are we dealing with the temple. You are going to be dealing with the temple, church, for the next month. Okay? So get used to it. Go buy yourself a little fake temple. Put it in the back. Get some animals. Read about it. Study it. But the idea is why the temple. Now listen to what Solomon says. This is right before he's going to pray, actually. Solomon is talking and he says this. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a temple. Now notice this, house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. See that? The end of verse 19. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise. Remember, Solomon is saying this on the day of dedication of the temple. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made, for I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel. Has the Lord promised? I have what? Built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And now the next slide. When he actually prays, listen to what he prays. 1 Kings 8, 29 and 30. He's praying to God. God, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house. He's talking about the temple. The place which you have said, now God said this, my name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear and forgive. So, dear friends, the temple is very important in this narrative. Because the temple was the center of Jewish life. That center is about to be displaced from a temple to a person. And it's a radical displacement. It will cost men their lives It will cost everything. It will turn kingdoms upside down. It will make and destroy kings and people. It will make and destroy your life. Because if Christ does not displace whatever's at the center of your little life, you will be destroyed. We're going to see that in this text. It's not just angry words from Al because he's been gone for two weeks and has come back with an attitude. No, no. These 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 are serious words of Scripture. What's at the center of your life? (laughs) What makes you tick? What gives you life? How do you relate to God? These are all great questions to ask yourself. Well, let me tell you, at the center of the Jews' life was the temple, buddy. And this temple is about to be displaced with a person. And it's going to shake up everything. And so that's why we've got to talk about the temple. And to talk about the temple, what does God choose? He chooses a lame beggar, point one. What happened? Here we're now, news reporter Al Pino on the scene. I'm reporting from Jerusalem. I am here at the temple. And we've got some amazing things going on here at the temple. A lame beggar has been healed. That's right, a lame beggar has been healed. And we've already read it. This lame beggar. One thing I want you to notice, though, you're a discerning Uh, viewer of the news, right? You should always be discerning when you're viewing the news and you should be asking yourself tons of questions. So where was this guy? Well, look, honey, it's the lame beggar that we see every day outside the temple with no way to get into the temple. You see, the old temple system kept him out. He was unclean. He was lame. It was a congenital thing. He was born this way. He was unfit to enter the temple. And he physically could not enter the temple. If you notice what it says, he was carried there every day. What did he do? He begged for enough money to live on. This guy was totally helpless. Gee, I wonder why God has him in the story. You should ask yourself that. Here's what I think is the answer. Because we're that helpless lame beggar lying at the outside the temple. Remember God's inside the temple. Helpless. Outside of God's presence. Hopeless. Unable to enter. Just begging for a couple of little shekels that we might subsist. And God comes through his apostles, and we 're begging them for money, and we think that's what we want, and we we look at them and we cry out to them and then god 's gaze listen there's a bunch of gazes in this in this in this uh narrative there's a bunch of them it says, "See and look and gaze, circle those words, and peter's saying, "You look at me, and the the blind the, the lame beggar is saying." I'm looking at you and, and, and but the, the one gaze that is understood here is God's gaze and God fixes his gaze on this blind this lame beggar why do I keep wanting to call him a blind beggar a blind beggar would not fix his gaze on Peter and John okay let's just get that straight he's lame not blind so the lame beggar fixes his gaze and he says, give me food, give me money so I can eat. And they said, we don't have any. And I could just imagine he's going, "Ah, oh, man, a bunch of cheap Christians. <laughs> and Peter says, I've got, but what I do have, I will give you. What you do have? I want money. Show me the money. <laughs> says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at the text. Look at the text. Verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ. The name of God is associated with the temple. The name of Jesus Christ. The one who will displace the temple is not going to heal this lame beggar so that his name would be recognized the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and and if you notice in your Bibles at the end of verse 6 there's an exclamation point rise up and walk audacious stuff and of course he stoops down he grabs the man by the hand and he raises him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and he leaps imagine a guy born lame never walked a day in his life I don't know how high he leapt one of my things is when when I get to the new heavens and new earth I'm just going to be able to dunk a basketball you know but my vertical jumps about you know 10 inches you know I need about another 30 inches. I, I don't know if the guy, I don't know if the guy could have dunked a basketball, but, I, but he leapt, man, and he praised God, and he's walking, and he's walking into the temple. That temple system that kept him out was just superseded. What a contrast, friends. Do, do you see the contrast there? In verse two, he's crippled, he's carried, he's placed, he's begging. And then look at verses 8 and 9. He stands, he leaps, he walks, he goes in, he praises God. Oh, friends, at this point, write this down, circle it somewhere, hit your neighbor, tell him, look this up at lunch. Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 should be jumping into your minds. Oh, believe me, it was jumping into the minds of the Jewish man who was watching the 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 11 p.m. news when he saw this. Because the first thing that he's going to be thinking is he's going to be thinking Isaiah Isaiah 35. five three and six and this is what it says strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees say to those who have an anxious heart be strong fear not behold your god will come with vengeance with the recompense of god he will come and save you then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This was written by a prophet during the worst time of Israel, right before the first temple was about to get wiped out by the Babylonians because Israel was in sin and they had turned their face from the glory of God. But he's prophesying of a new messianic age, the last days, the kingdom of God, when Jesus, he didn't know the name at that point, but the Messiah comes and does exactly what Jesus did. And so what is happening here is that God is saying, here's what I want you to get, guys. Temple, lame man, jumps, leaps, messianic age is here. In fact, Jesus himself alludes to this. Write this one down, Luke 7. Luke 7, 20 to 22, Jesus himself using this of himself. Luke 7, 20 to 22, they're asking Jesus a question. And when the men had come to him, Jesus, they said, Hey, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one? Are you the one that Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 35? Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them. This is what Jesus said to them. Listen, go and tell John. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor of good news preached to them. Jesus said, I've come preaching the kingdom of God. Of course he did. He's the king. See, the key image here is that this lame man was stuck outside the temple, unable to enter in on his own, begging. And then Jesus comes through his apostles and heals them and changes everything for the lame man and changes the focus and the center of Jewish life. This man now is no longer lame, but walks, leaps, praises God. See, the lame beggar in this narrative exposes the inadequacy of the temple system. It offers, the the temple system is inadequate to deliver us into God's presence. It's inadequate to heal us. You see, according to the temple system, this lame man was not allowed to enter in. I love this quote from Alan Thompson. It says, it is the inadequacy of the temple system together with the overcoming of that old system and adequacy through Jesus that is being highlighted here on the 11 o'clock news. The repeated references to the temple in this healing account are meant to highlight the lame beggar's leap over the temple boundaries through Jesus. New temple man has just showed up. And in that temple, I can go in. Question for you. Do you see yourself as a helpless, lame beggar apart from Christ's intervention? Or are you still trying to crawl into the temple? Feudily trying to rise up and walk, falling back in failed attempt after failed attempt to approach God and find life? Maybe you've simply given up. Maybe some folks carried you here today, metaphorically speaking. They're laying you at the gate of the temple. But you're sitting in that seat and you feel as much of an outsider as anybody can feel. You may not even be able to understand what I'm saying. You hear my lip, you see here, you see my lips moving, but you have no idea what I'm saying. You're watching others go in and out. You watch me jump around like a crazy man here. You watch us sing that song. You maybe had people next to you crying and weeping when they're crying out, show us Christ, where else can we go? And you're thinking, there's a lot of other places I can go. In fact, I'd like to be there here. Can this like, be over so I can go and find life somewhere else and find my real center? You are lame. You are unable to move. You are helpless. You are hopeless. And any system other than Christ that offers you life is inadequate. Only Jesus can heal you, dear friend, and give you strength to get up and to walk in and to join many who are throughout the ages and today praising God. All right? So there, is, there are the facts. Point two, what does it mean? What does it mean What does it mean? And I think what it means is that Jesus is exalted. This follows the theme of what Bentley preached. It is a pattern in Acts. You have this redemptive historical act. This act of God breaking into history with his redemptive purposes. And it's usually accompanied with miraculous things, tongues, healing of lame people. And then you have the facts, which we just heard, the reporting of the facts. And then you have someone stand up and interpret it. You have the expert analysis. You know, like on Channel 10, right? Michael Putney. Here he is. You know, Expert analysis. I will tell you what those guys said when you heard the debate. Hmm, I thought I could probably figure out what they said, but go ahead, tell me what they said. But there's always the expert analysis, right? The insider, you know, I like sports. That may be a shock to some of you. But, you know, when you watch the NBA, okay, we're going to talk to our insider today. And what was Chris Bosh feeling when he was injured those first couple of games against the Pacers? I've got the insider. Buddy, you got the ultimate insider here in Peter. Because the Holy Spirit has anointed him, according to chapter 2 and chapter 1, to bear witness of Jesus. Peter is going to tell us what's going on. And we need to hear what he says. So let's read it. Verse 11. While he, the lame beggar, clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded. Same verbiage that was used in chapter 2 when they spoke in tongues. Ran together ran together to them in the portico uh, called Solomon's. Called Solomon's. Imagine this huge temple and along the eastern wall is a portico. You know, we have them here. It's like a porch here in South Florida. You would have this roof with some pillars and it's open to you know, guard you from the rain and it's the whole length and so it's a huge area. It's the place where the disciples would go and hang out after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. It's a place where they'd go and teach and it could hold a lot of people, probably 3,000 people. So imagine 3,000 people or whatever, a couple of thousand people running. They're excited. Hey, I see the news truck over there. There's got to be something going on. Come on. Somebody famous must be over there. So they run. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Because what what does everybody assume immediately? Oh, Peter and John healed this guy. Listen to what he says. He's very careful. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? See, because probably only the man and those around him heard Peter say, in the name of Jesus, all they saw is he reaches down, picks this guy up who could never walk and they've seen him there every day and the guy's walking and leaping and praising God. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I mean Peter's going right for big time covenant, man. I mean, this is the these are the patriarchs. These are the big 3, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. These are the guys, the foundation of the nation. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. There's the name. Remember, the Spirit's going to come upon you and you will have power to be my witnesses. Trust me, it takes power and courage to to speak that name after that man has been crucified by the authorities of the temple that you're in. The very system he's come to displace. Lots of courage. Holy Spirit courage whom you delivered, and then he just keeps going, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. So he's going to go over a little history and basically say, you blew it, guys. When he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one. Now he's just throwing down names for Jesus. He's He's just going to add to the whole thing. He's going for the whole thing. This is God we're talking about. This is Messiah we're talking about. You know these scriptures as well as I do. Yeah, the holy and righteous one. And you asked for a murderer to be granted to you instead of the holy and righteous one. And you killed the author of life. I mean, that's as in your face as you can get. But, oh, friends, man cannot kill the author of life because God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. There you go. By the way, that word witness is marturion. It's where we get our word martyr from, and you can see why. You start bearing witness like that in front of these people who kill Jesus, they're going to kill you. Verse 16, here's that name. And, in, and his name, this is a very complex verse in the Greek. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all of you or you all. Hey, listen, it's no longer in the temple. God's in Jesus. Jesus is God. This is where we meet with God. This is where God comes and meets with us. It's faith in that name. They understood They understood. Verse 17. He kind of eases up a little. He smiles. This is the pastor who's been preaching, yelling, screaming, scowl on his face, sweat pouring off his forehead. He suddenly smiles. He says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. (laughs) I know you're a bunch of idiots, you know. (laughs) As did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, now he's going to bring in Old Testament prophecy again. He's going to bring in the picture of Isaiah and the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that that his Christ, Messiah, remember, Christ is the translation for Messiah, would suffer, and he thus fulfilled. So you did wrong, but God ordained it. Yeah, lots of questions there. But God is in control is what I'm trying to say. He uses our sin to do his will without excusing our sin, which he's not excusing their sin because look what he says in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Wow, this is radical. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Your sins aren't going to be blotted out in the sacrifices going on in this temple. They're blotted out in Jesus' once and for all sacrifice. Verse 21, Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He's talking about the messianic age, the last days, the days when God would restore all things. They thought politically. Of course, Jesus came and said, no, it's spiritually. Moses said, The Lord God. So now he's... He's going to draw Moses into this deal. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Deuteronomy 18, from your brothers, that's a prophecy of Christ, you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and here comes that bad news I told you about, and it shall be that everyone, verse 23, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. You're either for me or against me. Verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, the first prophet, all the way down to the last prophet, and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. What days? The last days. The kingdom of God inaugurated in Christ. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and now he's going to quote the promise he made to Abraham back in Genesis. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first. Salvation is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. To bless you by turning everyone of you from your wickedness. So what does it mean? Well, I believe Thompson has it right here. This next quote, it means the inadequacy of the temple system is now contrasted with the all-sufficiency of Christ. So he's being very explicit here. The temple is not the final thing. It leads you to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the temple. He's the fulfillment of the temple. He's the all-sufficient one. He is the one who has raised this man up from his illness. The one you rejected. Jesus' name... When he says that in verse 16, in his name, by faith in his name. His name represents all that he is. The name of God, Yahweh. The name of God was associated with the temple of God, and so it is. Jesus is God. His name, Jesus Christ. And it's that name. This This is a radically Christocentric sermon. This is a sermon about Jesus. Listen, notice carefully, in this report, the emphasis is going away from the lame beggar who's been healed. We're no longer seeing pictures of him jumping around like a crazy man, leaping and praising God. We're no longer looking at Peter and John. No, no. Peter has clearly said, get the camera off me. Get it on Jesus. So now, what we see here is this radical, Christocentric portrait of Jesus. Behold our God. You want to behold him? That's what we're about to do. We're going to behold our God here. And that's God's burden for us this morning, friends. This is why he sent his spirit to us to reveal Jesus to some of you here, maybe for the first time. And for others, he wants to reveal Jesus afresh and anew. You're tired, you're weary, you're discouraged Jesus is the place where you find strength, forgiveness, access to God. He is the place where God looks. He's the one God looks to. He's the one that he listens. We pray in Jesus' name, based on his virtue, not ours. So let's take a look at Jesus. And we're going to see him through various titles that Peter has thrown down. And I've alluded to them. I read them to you. The first one is, he's God's servant. Great. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Peter says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Now, there's not time this morning to go into this. You go into it later. Write these down. We're going to post this on the web. You study these verses. You look at the footnotes in your study Bibles. I recommend the ESV study Bible. You look at how it's going to refer you back to Isaiah's suffering servant. Isaiah fifty-two, thirteen through 53, 12. Guys, this is Messiah who is to suffer for his people. And then be glorified. You see, that's what Peter says. God, this God, our God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he exalted, he exalted his servant, Jesus. Or it says glorified here in the ESV. I believe other versions say exalted. So who, what does this portrait look like? It looks like the servant of God. The suffering servant of Isaiah. Next, this portrait looks like the holy and righteous one. Verse 14, the holy and righteous one. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. I mean, Peter is just, he's stressing the enormity of their blunder. I mean, they reject the holy and righteous one and choose a murderer. We do too, don't we? We're no different. We're no different at all. This is the one who brings righteousness. Friends, this is big time a messianic designation. I mean, Peter is saying Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the Holy One. But you refuse to accept this Messiah, this Savior. Look at verse 15. He's the author of life. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. (laughs) I love Bentley's sermon two weeks ago. By the way, if you have not heard either Bentley's sermon from two weeks ago or Corey's sermon from last last week, please, please, please listen to it. And if you've heard it, listen to it again. The Lord used these men to bring home his truth. Powerful words, powerful illustrations, powerful truths. But I love Bentley's sermon. He said, you know, death could not hold him. Just like little little Annie could not be held in Sarah Love's womb. We all know the story. You know, she had little Annie, his wife, had Sarah Love had Annie Annie on the bathroom floor because when Annie it was time for Annie to come out, she was coming out. They couldn't even get to the hospital. And much more so. Death could not hold the author of life? Are you kidding? See, Jesus makes resurrection life possible for all who trust in him. That's what you learn from this one. When you stare at this portrait, you say, I have resurrection life because he was brought to life. He's the author of life. He's the author of life. He's the author of life. Jump down to verses 22 and 23. He's also the prophet. The prophet who is greater than Moses. He's like Moses, but he's greater than Moses. 22 and 23. And Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. Listen to him. Listen to him. He's the great prophet. He's also the messianic Davidic king. Look at verse 24 now. It's not as explicit here, but if you study it, you'll see it. Trace it back to the Old Testament and what Peter's saying here. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. That's an allusion to the day when God would put David's offspring, which was always pointing to Messiah, on the throne forever. Now remember, from the time of David to the time of Jesus, there were times when when Israel was was broken and in exile. There was no king. The land was occupied by pagan armies and the question hanging over the Old Testament is, is God faithful to his promise? Will God bring this Messiah? Would God bring this descendant of David? Will the Savior be able to come from this place and this land? Remember we taught on Nehemiah. That was the whole deal with Nehemiah. Can the wall be rebuilt? Can these people come back? Can Messiah come? Can the temple be rebuilt? and are in Ezra and, and, and there's a resounding yes yes and this is the one the Davidic king of whom all the prophets spoke and then notice the last designation the seed of Abraham through whom the promised blessing comes verses 25 and 26 I'll read them to you you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and here he takes two promises to Abraham. I, I believe the first one is in Genesis 12, and I think the next one's in Genesis 22. But you go look it up. It's in there. And he kind of puts them together. And basically what he says is this. I'm going to bless all the nations through you, Abraham. That's what it says here. And in your offering shall all the families of the earth be Blessed. God, having raised up his servant, there's that, his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And you need to turn from your wickedness. Some of you need to turn from your wickedness today. You need to stop playing games with God and stop being arrogant and digging your heels in and repent. Listen to the prophet or you will be destroyed. All right, that was intense, but it was true. But as... As you are blessed, as you are blessed, it's not just for you. It's so that God would fulfill his word. His word says that through Abraham and his offspring, I'm going to bless the nations. Now, ultimately, that offspring is Jesus. But then we become what? Adopted as sons and daughters. So he blesses us. He heals us so we could bless others. That's Corey's message last week. We're a spirit-filled community. There's healing in us. We live in harmony. Not all the time. But we work out our conflicts. And the world sees it. And we take that smaller community that's Christ-centered and bring it out to the larger community. They go, wow, there's a people that are very different and they love each other. What's going on here? And then God says, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless her. I'm going to bless that person right now that's in Miami Lakes having coffee at Starbucks that doesn't know the Lord. That person I saw jogging this morning. The people at the beach. The people that, that do not know God. The people that are lost, blind, lame, beggars. Don't even know it. God wants to bless them through us. We're the offspring." But we've got to do something. And I want to bring this home. We've got to repent. <laughs> we've got to repent. If you'll notice up here, he pauses kind of in, in his sermon. And, and if you take a look, let's go back up to verse 18, 19. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you for you, Jesus. Remember Bentley's message? Do you see the pattern? Boom. Pentecost happens. Tongues. It's amazing. I'm amazed. I'm bewildered. What's going on? Are they drunk? They're not drunk. Boom. Peter stands up and says, hello, I'm going to give you expert analysis because God is telling me this by the Holy Spirit. Let me bear witness. This is what's happening. Hey, you killed Jesus (laughs) and he's the one that made all this happen. What do the people do? What are we going to do? What does Peter say? Nothing new. We're going to see this pattern. It's what Jesus came and preached. Repent. It's not a dirty word. It's a good word. It's a necessary word. You're wrong. God's right. Acknowledge it. And he doesn't kill you. That's the really good news. Some people say to me, why do bad things happen to good people? I say, that's the wrong question. Why does anything good happen to any of us? Because we're all wicked rebels. doesn't mean you don't cry with people when bad things happen. Hear me. And I don't share that with someone who's crying over something that's happened to them. I'm talking now more of a philosophical discussion in Starbucks with someone who's just wanting to, you know, whatever. And I say, because your presupposition is wrong. We are all rebels. He is good. We've rebelled. The fact that we have anything good, the fact that I'm sitting in my air-conditioned car this week, driving to work, drinking my bottle of water, reminds me of when I was in Haiti just a week ago, watching these, these Haitian men carry... Carry loads that I was told later often kill them. They're so heavy. I was in a car crammed with people, with horns beeping, yelling, screaming. People tell me, be careful, it's very dangerous here. And I'm watching this Haitian man walk right by me, this guy that looked about my age. And I think, why is that not me? Excruciating pain on his face. He was carrying this cart like he was an oxen. And it was probably loaded six feet high with huge bags of rice. Probably about a hundred bags. And there was a guy behind him pushing it. It had wheels. And and, and often if they lose their balance, they'll get crushed by that load. And he was just like, just looking down. And I just thought, I bet you that guy does that every week. And I'm sitting in my car. I'm going to complain if I don't feel good today. Or my AC broke, which it did. Or I get in an accident. I'm like, I need to just, why me? I have no virtue. So that's why repent's a good word. We all need to do it. Because he's good. He doesn't kill us but he offers us life. He doesn't walk by us as we're lying on that temple gate outside the temple, lame and helpless and hopeless. He fixes his gaze on us and he says, look here, I'm the author of life. I'm the one through whom all this is going to happen. And if we repent, look at the blessings of repentance. Just look at them in verse 19. What do we get if we repent? repent? Our sins are blotted out. 19b. Verse 20. Times of refreshing come to us. Do you need refreshing? Are you a little parched? Is it a hot day in Florida? Do you need a cool drink? Repent. He'll give it to you. Times of restoration will come to you. Verse 20b. He'll send the appointed Christ, Christ the appointed one, to you. Verse 21. Whom heaven must receive. Jesus is ascended into heaven until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. So there you have it. The portrait of Jesus It is a breathtaking portrait. Last week, Corey talked about the portrait of his family and God's family. This week, we have the portrait of Jesus Christ. And this portrait causes us to repent and come to the Lord so that we can orient our lives around God and that which used to take up the center of my life is displaced, properly so, and Jesus is placed, properly so, in the center of my life. And then, as my life is joined with your life and our community, Jesus is in the middle. Our community isn't about a cause. It isn't about politics. It isn't about economies. It isn't about any of that stuff. Even our nationalities, though I'm grateful to be an American, it's about the kingdom of God and the, the coming king And Jesus is in the center of Palm Vista Community Church. And he will add to us as he pleases. Is that portrait center in your mind? I don't go on Facebook much, but I do have a son that's now away at college. So Facebook can be a time I can find out what's happening with my dear son. And I love you. And as a pastor, Facebook can be a time where I can figure out how the flock is doing and go, whoa, I didn't know they knew that word (laughs) Uh, and um, let me hide that little post (laughs) and um, I can pray when people post things that, you know whatever Um, yeah, Facebook posting things in your underwear at midnight is just it's just, bad things are going to happen you know can I take that post back, please But seriously, every Facebook page has that portrait, what you choose to be your picture. I see people post portraits on their walls, some of them foolish, many of them really cool things. But this is what God is saying on our Facebook page, the portrait that should dominate that page is this one that we've just seen, the portrait of Jesus Christ. On the wall of our heart, forget about Facebook, but on the wall of your heart, is this the portrait that is posted there? You see, this quote from Thompson is the reason why it should be posted there. All that one needs from God is now to be found in Jesus. Forgiveness of sins and refreshing, restoration, God's final authoritative revelation, the blessing of God and repentance. It's all in Jesus. So what else is going to be at the center of our life? What other portrait are we going to put on our Facebook page? Or in our hearts? Friends, final point here in this message Jesus fulfills all of God's saving purposes declared from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus fulfills all of God's saving purposes declared from Genesis to Revelation. We need to now behold our God and fix our eyes on Him. He's seated on His throne. Come, let us adore Him, friends. Stand and let's sing and behold our God.